The scripture reading today comes from all of Ezekiel chapter 34. You can read the focus text as it is printed in the bulletin on page 7 or your Bibles, but I will be reading from verses 1 through 6 and verses 10 through 18. Verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Verses 10 through 18. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't noticed, or if you're new or visiting, uh, throughout Lent this year, uh, we've been looking at passages in the Old Testament that reveal our true condition, our real condition. We live in darkness. Uh, Our world, our lives, they're broken they're broken because of our sin, and we are constantly looking, looking for something to come and fix us. But throughout the Old Testament, if you look through the Bible, we see passage after passage, God working through that sin and through that brokenness. That's really the purpose of our series, uh, and we've been going through this all season. Now, it's very fitting because today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to be looking at one of the most famous longitudinal themes, themes that stretch across all of the Bible uh, and uh, that show us really how God works through um, our sin and our brokenness. This theme is of God as our shepherd. It's a very convicting theme, uh, convicting for leaders like myself, but it's going to be convicting for you too if you're paying attention. Um, For anybody who really uh, is leading any group of people, And there are three things that we're going to see today. 
It's really two problems and one solution. Two problems. What God says to the shepherds, what God says to the sheep, and ultimately what he provides as our ultimate solution. All right? Problem with the shepherds, problem with the sheep, and ultimately what he provides as the ultimate solution. One, the problem, the first problem. Uh, Verse one, God says, Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. When God refers to shepherds, he's talking about uh, the leaders of all of Israel. And so he's not just talking about religious leaders. That's what it looks like. That's how we can look at it. But he's not really just talking about religious leaders, the priests and the, and the prophets and the counselors. He's talking about the state, right, the civil leadership. He's talking to kings and rulers and governors. And, and, uh, and so he's also, this is a capitalistic country. We live in a liberal capitalistic country and world. So I can make the case that he's talking about corporate leaders, corporate executives, directors, managers. He's talking about professors because there's a whole system of leadership there and our educators. But he's also talking about leaders in every family unit. So he's referring to our fathers and our mothers. In other words, you an ambitious person? Do you have any type of responsibility here in the world, in the workplace? He's talking about you. So in verse 1, God is indicting human leaders at every level of Israel, at every level of his people. On one hand, we're called to respect our authorities. Even if you disagree with them, the Bible says you're called to respect them because God instituted this leadership at every level. He created these institutions. But on the other hand, there's a big problem. In verse 2, God says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Verse four, four, you have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So in verse 10, he says, I'm against you. I'm against the shepherds of Israel. And I will hold them accountable. And there it is. We have failed. We have failed as shepherds. We have failed as leaders and stewards over everything God has given us to to hold and take care of and cultivate and nurture. There's a crisis of leadership in our society today at every level of society. You see that? Very convicting. Very convicting for anyone who leads anyone. Very convicting for anyone who's stewarding or leading anywhere. Now, how do we fail? In verses 2 and 3, he says it's because, essentially, we are selfish. In verse 4, he says it's basically through our negligence. And he also says in verse 4, it's because we're brutal, we're harsh, we're abusive. So through our selfishness, our neglect, and our abuse, very convicting. Verse 2 and 3, woe to the shepherds who only take care of themselves. You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In a sense... What he's saying is instead of serving the sheep, you are using the sheep for your own selves, for your own gain. What does that mean? And we're all guilty of this. If you think about it, there are people in this room. We say we are Christians. Oh, we say we love the church. But really, what we're really doing is we're really coming to feed our own loneliness. We're coming to feed that desire to make friends. Maybe church, for a lot of us, and this is a danger for anyone here, if you want to get married, if you want to have children, this is a great danger in our society today because they say that married couples, as you get older and as you get married, your attachment to the church decreases 
like by a mile. So I'm t- what we're seeing right now in society is that as you get married, you think you get more committed to church, you start to bomb out. And then you have children. One child, then you bomb out. And you bomb out for like a decade. This didn't happen in the ancient times. It certainly didn't happen even in, in the historical church in, in this country. It's a, it's a current phenomenon. We're seeing that now. This is your generation. The future, it's not about the future of the church. It's about the future of our families the future of our children, our spiritual livelihood. That's what we're talking about here. 99%, I believe, of what the modern church calls fellowship is not fellowship. Basketball fellowship. We talk about that. That's a fellowship. That's not what they talked about in ancient times. It's selfishship. And our leaders were exploiting the church with that. We're exploiting our sheep. We're exploiting our people. God is saying, I see what you do. You take what people produce. They're gifted, and you work them, and you slaughter them, and you consume them. You are called to care for them. That's why you're a leader. That's why you're a husband. That's why you're a father. That's why you're a mother. It's why you are leading people in your workplace but instead you're using them because you want to fill your own sense of worth and power and status. We can apply this at every level. I'm going to do this for, for just examples. This is not the whole of it. Just some examples. Parents, your children have lots of gifts. Look, I, 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 before, I've been doing Metro for about 11 years. But before Metro, I've been, doing, I've been running a camp for like 30. That's pretty much the extent of my ministry. I ran a camp for children and youth for about 33 years. One thing I've realized, children, they are, they are amazingly gifted, but they're also really young. They're children. So what do you do with them? Progressive education will tell you, you've got to expose them to a ton of things. Let them discover themselves. Let them find themselves. Get, do it at their pace. Increase their options. Increase their potential. Everyone's doing this now. So what we're really saying is, now, rather than placing if you really want to go at their pace, you would let them learn at their pace. But instead, what we do is we just feel this great urgency to make them find themselves. And so we want to expose them to everything as much as possible, as soon as we can. Because if they don't produce, if they don't build, if, they don't, if we don't push them, if we don't develop their goals now, they are going to amount to nothing. Look, I read a lot. Social commentators, even educators will tell you that our children learn best when they are at play when they are children. But today, in this empirical society, in this empirical culture, data-driven culture, we want to systematize everything. Scholars will tell you that we are developing a generation that lacks imagination, innovation, creativity, dreams. We are killing their spirits. On one hand, we're saying, well, hey, look, I'm a parent, it's my job, I, I need to teach them to succeed, to find themselves okay, but on the other hand, we are equipping them. We are equipping them with worldly values, with worldly views of success, without any biblical framework of identity or success, sin, idolatry. That's really learned over time, and that's what they need you for. 
They need, because you can only learn that through investment. You don't sit with them and preach that to them. You learn that through investment and intentionality and discipleship. Why? Because today we, we, we say, well, if they're not successful, the reason why we don't do this, we, we are so driven by success, we want, and it overflows into our children. We say, if they're not successful, I'm a failure. It's not for them. It's for us. We're, we are killing our children with that. Secondly, you know, ancient times, in ancient times, the father of the household, the, the husband was the shepherd, the spiritual leader of the household. They taught their family the Bible. They modeled biblical character. But today, we've kind of deferred that to the church. And we say, well, you've got to model the pastor. And then when the pastor fails, this whole thing sucks. That's what we say. We leave that to the church. So for six days a week, we are flooding our families with worldly values and worldly views. They watch you and how you respond to stimuli every day, all day. And then we question because one hour a week, we bring them into Sunday school, teach them some Bible. And then we say, they're not really growing. <laughs> they're, you know, they're not, they're not, they're spiritually confused. And so what we do is then we leave that church. We blame the church for that. We blame our leaders for that. You're not taking care of your flock. God said in verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. He's saying what your family needed was intentional leadership for them. A biblical framework, a definition of strength and power, a biblical definition, a biblical definition of what success really is, so that when they are hurting and reeling, you can bound up the injured, you can heal the sick, you can, you can strengthen those who are weak, you can provide for them in a particular way, a biblical poise and a biblical courage, but what we've modeled is a pursuit of wealth and status and approval and, and that has replaced all these things that we actually need that can only be given to us and learned in the context of intentional, intimate relationship with somebody else, particularly in our families. And, and what we've done is we've placed God on the periphery. We've neglected what is important. And so we've neglected real care for our children, for our families, for our spouses. Verse 5, they've been devoured by wild animals. Verse 6, they've wandered away. Verse 10, and you are accountable. We are killing our families in this country and in our society with that. Number three, in the workplace, look at verses 3 and 4. In the workplace, rather than serving others, this is a manager looking at people who are lower than them. This is a director looking at his or her team of managers. And, and the, the, we, we put on our resumes, we lead teams of 50 people and 100 people. So this is you sitting and you recognize the responsibility that you have. We put it on our resumes when we want to show people we have status and strength and power. But they're inexperienced, and the ones who don't perform well, and the ones, we don't know what they're going through in their homes, the ones who are sick and injured, they are in great need. And for most people, they are not in the church. They are in desperate need of help and, and guidance and, and life. 
because you're more than just, God didn't place you there. You're more than just their manager. You are more than just their boss. You are more than just their leader. And yet we use them to achieve our ambition. We avoid people who don't perform. We avoid people who are, who, uh, are socially not accepted, even in the workplace. We don't help, we don't help or even seek to know what's going on in their lives. I mean, students, you were in school. It's a very relational culture. You step outside of that bubble, but even in the school, there's competition, and there are people who float to the top, and there are people who float to the bottom. There's a crisis of leadership. As managers, in verse 4, we become harsh and brutal, And this is often rewarded as long as we produce, as long as we're getting out of these people what we need. It's to fulfill our agenda, our vision, our career goals and objectives. There's a crisis of leadership in the workplace. Fourthly, our church, the church is filled with selfish people. Selfish people who say this, they say, well, I've got gifts. You see, I studied, I've got skills, I expect to be seen. Because I've got gifts, and, and I studied, and I have skills. In other words, we tend to use the church to build our own sense of worth and our egos. And if you're a leader in the church with that, then you're going to use people. You're going to control people. You're going to be harsh towards people. You're going to be brutal towards people. Abuse is real in the church. But really, there's abusing and using, it goes on. It happens every day. There's gross neglect every day in all levels of leadership everywhere. And so our people are lost. People are lost. They're lost in their schools at every level of education. They're, they're lost. They're confused uh, in their homes spiritually. But as long as they've got their iPads and as long as they've got their programs We're satisfied. We don't realize that you have a very limited time to see through their growth. We're we're lost in our careers, and there are people, and, you know, we talk about, and my heart this week has just broken by what happened. I don't know what it is about this particular one, but with this school shooting, I mean, for some reason, I just had to stop and pause for a little bit. And forget about all the societal implications and the political implications. What is, what? <laughs> we're just, we're lost in our careers and we just, we just, people are lost in their churches because there's a crisis of leadership everywhere. And verse six, God says, My people, my sheep, they've wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. What's he saying there? In Ezekiel's time, the people of God, because they wandered away from God, their relationship with God has been placed on the periphery, they've become disobedient. They've ignored the law. They've become a wicked generation, a wicked people. They have other priorities, and, and God's law was kind of pushed to the side. As long as it, if it doesn't fit their agenda, they kind of overlook it, and they kind of move on. And in other words, they've had other gods. In ancient times, you followed other gods. How did you do that? Well, if you didn't go to the temple because you didn't really trust or believe in the true God, 
then you went to other high hills. You went to other, the highest places because that's where you met some spiritual force, I suppose. That's where you met your God. A lot of idols were set up on the higher hills of Jerusalem. And, you, and these people would go there and they would worship there because they're still looking for God and they're saying, I know there's something deeper. I know there's deeper meaning in life. I need to experience this. So they're going to these higher places because what they're looking for and craving is access and experience of God. And so a lot of these idols and these other gods have been set up on these high hills. And God is saying, my people have wandered to every high hill. These people, they, they go to, they wander to the mountains, to the hills. They worship there. And God says, my people are scattered and they're wandering and they're looking. They're just searching after God in these high places. And God says, where were you? You say you believe. You're supposed to represent me. When have you ever spoken up when you see your friends who are wayward? When have you spoken up against these other gods? When have you helped to bind up the They are sick and they, they're in need of healing. They are bound. When have you bound them up because they were injured? They're lost and they're straying away. When have you ever helped to bring them back because they're weak and they're sick and they're injured and they're strayed and they're lost? Today, we don't have idols of gold, friend. You know that. We don't have idols, these little trinkets, these little things set up. We don't have shrines made up of gold. Actually, some religions still do. Gold and stone. We replace that gold with wealth and power, material goods. We replace the stone with foundations that are large and homes and businesses. You see that? We replace the God of fertility with sex, and we're seeking it everywhere because we desperately want intimacy. We've if you, are, if you have friends in the church who are wandering away from God because they're drawn to these things, it's not that these things by themselves are evil, but they've wandered away because these things have become their God. Where were you is the question. That makes all of us, we're all of us here are shepherds. Have you spoken up? No. We say, well, you know, it's a process. I want to be sensitive. You know, uh, my workplace is a sensitive workplace. I'm walking with them. We love, we love that phrase. I'm walking with our, it's a journey, right? We say that. And God is saying, they're already gone. They're gone. Verses 7 to 10, they have been torn up. They've beaten up. They are devoured. They've been torn apart. They are lost. It's the consequence of idolatry. It's, it's what idolatry doesn't promise you. Idolatry promises you all the good stuff all the blessings, all the beauty, all the intimacy, it doesn't teach you the consequences where it's just lots of pain and suffering and guilt and darkness and nowhere to turn. So these people, they feel used up and torn apart. We've all been there. We've all been there, right, friends? But God says, and because you haven't sought them out, you are accountable. I mean, you think it's just friendship, even in the church. It's, it's just friendship, I, I didn't sign up for that. God has brought you together to shepherd and steward that relationship. Don't place God now on the periphery of something that he has given you to steward over. Whether it's your wealth or your materials, your homes, your degrees, they all come with responsibility. We are called as leaders to represent God wherever we are, and yet we've made it the selfish thing. We've exploited people, and we've been harsh and brutal. We've neglected our call. That's the first problem. But then he says, well, there's a second problem. 
If God is indicting the shepherds, what is he implying? He's implying that we are sheep. All of us are sheep. We look at sheep and we say, oh, they're so cute. And, you know, Mary had a little lamb, right? Poor little things. Uh, they are, they are they're exploited and they're abused here. They're sick and who's going to help them? They're neglected. But we're not off the hook, you see. Verses 17 to 18, really verses 17 to 24 and through the end of the chapter, God says, I will judge between one sheep and another. Later he says, between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. He says, is it not enough? This is a real question. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture? Where I already brought you, is that not enough for you? Do you always need more? You see, on one hand in verse 4, the sheep, they're, they're weak, they're helpless. They're often sick. They're, they're easily injured. But on, one, but on the other hand, verse 4 also says they're strays. They've wandered off. They're lost. They get lost as a result. In other words, sheep are known to be helpless, but they're helpless because they're foolish. They're helpless because they're stupid. They're considered, you know, you set a dog off and he gets lost and you get distraught because you can't find your dog. But a dog can actually take care of himself. Horses are domesticated horses. You set them free. They know how to find food. They know how to find water. They grow wild on their own. When's the last time you've heard of wild sheep? You see that? It's, they can't survive on their own. And so what happens is, and, and on top of that, they're extremely stubborn. They're known to be very stubborn, the most stubborn of animals. So in verse 12, shepherds, they're constantly looking after the sheep, looking for the sheep because they're always straying. They're always lost. Verse 14, they are helpless. They can't find pasture on their own. They can't sustain their own lives. Verse 16, they constantly have to be cared for. They constantly have to be healed because they're always getting sick and they're, they need to be bound up because they're always getting injured. And yet, even though a shepherd may find a sheep and feed him and protect him and defend him and guide him, even though he may, he may care for a sheep, they're known to be so stubborn that they would wrestle themselves even as he's taking you away from a place of danger and forcing you. It's never easy. They say they're constantly trying to wrangle out and try to get out and wriggle, wiggle their ways away from the shepherd and trying to go away again because they're so stubborn and they're trying to get themselves away from the shepherd before getting lost again. At the slightest discontent, sheep say, well, it's about my desires. They are the priority. I'm hungry, so I'm going to find it on my own. I need this, so I'm going to get it on my own. I want that, so I'm going to get it on my own. That's what sheep do, you see? And they're always trying to get away from the shepherd. They want this stuff apart from the shepherd. In other words, we don't trust our leaders, even the good ones. Over and over, we're wearing them down. We are burning them out, and it's true. Shepherds are selfish. Shepherds can be brutal. There are bad shepherds out there. There are neglectful shepherds out there, but... Sheep are also selfish, and they're brutal too. Verse 21, God says, you butt all the weak sheep until you've driven them away. We're selfish. We're constantly fighting and hurting each other. But verse 18, God says, so verse 18, God says, is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture? In other words, we're constantly wanting something better. We constantly think there's something more out there. We're never content. So we're constantly getting into danger. We are constantly getting, putting ourselves at risk. 
We're constantly uh, running away and making every bad decision. We're constantly trying to take in things that are bad for us physically or just soulfully, spiritually. Because, and it's because, you know, I get it. We know that we're capable of some rational thought. We know that, hey, we're rational creatures, and there are times not every decision we make is bad. Some of our decisions are pretty good. But because of that, because we're capable of some rational thought, we never give up control. We never submit to authority. We never surrender to accountability. And we're, if anything, we're, we're, we're basically, hey, I know my stuff. I know my stuff. I can do it on my own, right? And, and we always, even after making a mistake, we still justify. We always think we're right. So we don't listen. And we're always pushing back. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound... I don't know. I don't take it whichever way you want to take it. I'm just going to say it, right? There are people here, and you say, well, people don't really confront me about anything. You know why? It's because they probably tried. That's probably why. Take that any way you want it. It's because they probably tried. You just don't listen. You've developed a pattern of not listening. And you know, I mean, friends, uh, you know, college students, you're busy now. I mean, wait 10 years from now, it gets busier. It gets more and more confusing at times. It's very difficult to navigate all the different ravines of life unless you have good accountability, people who are just have a wealth of wisdom in your life. It's so important for you to find and identify those people and cling to that wisdom, not so that you become an automaton, but you learn how to process life through Scripture. That's so important. But you see, we don't listen. We're always pushing back. We don't recognize our foolishness. So even though we're sheep, objectively, that's how God views us, even though we're helpless people, we cringe at the dangers of leadership. We don't trust, and we say, well, that's the real danger. And there can be. There are abusive leaders out there, right? But the Bible says what you should really be focusing on is not that right now. The problem is us. The real problem is you. See, the thing is, we don't believe that, so we reject authority, and we're always fighting, we're always rebelling. Why? Ever since the Garden of Eden, this is the first book of the Bible. For those of you who are new to the church, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 3, ever since the Garden of Eden, we didn't even trust God, and he was the perfect shepherd. He was the perfect king. Even God in paradise wasn't enough. So no one's ever going to be enough. Yes, there's a crisis of leadership, but there's also a crisis of submission. We become skeptical of our leaders. We're always trying to poke holes in their leadership. In the Garden of Eden, what did Satan say to Eve? I mean, that was his plan. The reason why God doesn't want you to take that fruit, even though it looks good, even though it looks useful, even though it seems desirable for gaining wisdom, it's because you will be wise like God. He wants to hold you down. He wants to hold you back. And that's what we're always afraid of, that my leader is not is going to prevent me from getting where I want to be. And so there's a decision you want to make. It could be a relational decision. It could be a career decision. It could be a money decision. But we do not want to submit the things that we value to other people because the greatest fear is I'm going to be held back. These people want to push me down. That distrust is built in. You know why? It started with God in the garden. We never even trusted God, and he was the perfect shepherd. He was the perfect king. You see that? God is holding me back. God is withholding this good thing for me. And so ever since the Garden of Eden, 
We've been strays. We've been lost. We've been looking and searching for safety and security and healing. We've been looking for a place, a home, a place where we're loved. We've been looking for intimacy because we've rejected the one shepherd that we needed to make us whole and keep us whole and sustain that wholeness. (sighs) What's the solution? In verses 11 and 12, what does God say? I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after the scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have scattered down on a day of clouds and darkness. It's a very, very loaded promise. In other words, what he's saying, throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly saying this, I will come. I will come down. Because these people failed, because you failed, because they failed, I will come. I will do it. Centuries later, in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ is sitting around a group of people, and what does he say? I am the good shepherd. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then everyone all of a sudden wanted to kill him. Why? It's because Jesus, he didn't say, I am a good shepherd. He said, He didn't say, I am a good shepherd like God. He says, I am the good shepherd. In other words, I am that person that God promised all the way back thousands of years ago in Ezekiel chapter 34, right here in this passage. I am that shepherd. I am the king that you've been waiting for all your life. I am the ultimate shepherd. Every other leader fails, and every other leader will fail to some degree because every other leader is a mere shadow pointing to me as the true and perfect and only king. Think about what he's saying. On one one hand, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. That means every other leader may be selfish and self-serving. We've all got some of that in us, exploiting and neglecting to some degree. But he says, not me. I have the heart, a pure heart of a servant. And so he rides in on Palm Sunday on a donkey's cold because he is the high king, and yet he takes a position of lowness. It is the king who came down. He says every other leader uses their sheep. So when they're in trouble, though, when there's danger, like a hired hand, a hired hand will just take off because it's, it's my life at all costs. They will use the sheep and use the sheep and work the sheep When there's danger, they're gone because it's all about them. There's self-serving and neglect. But Jesus says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. All the way at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 5, the Apostle John has a vision. And his vision is a vision of the end of the world. That's really that book is. And an angel asks in Revelation chapter 5, who is worthy enough to open these scrolls? And the Apostle John is looking around in his vision. He says, I looked around because no one was worthy. And so he's weeping because he doesn't see anybody who's worthy enough to open these scrolls. But then he says he sees a lamb looking as if it were slain. It means it was all beaten up. It was all just battered and torn up and ripped apart. And yet he's still alive. He won. And he's sitting at the center of the throne. And the Apostle John says, he is worthy. And so the angels and everyone, they get together and they're worshiping and they're singing. The rest of the chapter is just about them worshiping and singing. What does that mean? It means the true king 
is a true shepherd. They, he not only saves his sheep, he not only protects his sheep, he not only is, a victorious, is victorious for his sheep, he becomes the sheep. He becomes a lamb. The king, the one who's at the center of the throne, is a lamb. Why is the lamb all beaten up? Think about this. If sheep are always straying and they're getting stuck and they're getting lost, they become easy prey. They become food, right? A big target for food. Very meaty. Some of you like lamb. There you go, right? Biggest danger is what? Predators. Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. He's saying every, the only thing that stands between you and blood and death being torn and ripped apart is me. So instead of his sheep getting torn apart, he gets torn apart. Instead of them getting ripped apart, he gets ripped apart. Instead of them spilling their blood, he spills his blood. Instead of their body being broken, his body gets broken. You see that? The only thing that comes between you and, and death is me. But because he's a good shepherd, he comes in between. He faces the danger. He gets ripped apart. He gets torn apart. He gets beaten up. He gets just ripped apart. Blood is being spilled. So on the cross... God says in Ezekiel 34, on a day of clouds and darkness, on the cross, there's a darkness that comes and covers the entire land, physical darkness. And there, Jesus' body, look at the image, it's just completely dark, and Jesus' body is there, and his blood is just spilling out everywhere. His body is just torn up, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's reciting Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, there's also a part that says, many bulls have surrounded me. Roaring lions, tearing up prey, have opened their mouths wide against me. Dogs have surrounded me. What are you saying? The predators have come. They've come for my life. Why? Because he's standing in between us. He's the good shepherd. He's laying his life down. Because he's the shepherd. He's a shepherd who's become the lamb of sacrifice. Palm Sunday is about Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is our good shepherd, our perfect shepherd, who lays down his life, gets in between us and every danger. That's the kind of shepherd we have. Is he not trustworthy? We're going we're gonna to accuse him of holding us back? We're going to accuse him of keeping us down? You know, oftentimes in the Bible, sin is called a predator. In the book of Genesis, way back, we're going from the end of the Bible back to the beginning of the Bible. In, in Genesis, um, chapter 4, you have Cain, the older brother. He's about to kill his younger brother. He's just jealous. He just hates his brother. He wants to kill him. God says, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is like a predator ready to pounce on you in the dark. It, desires are about to get you. You know what that means? Your desires will get you in the end. Like a predator, because you are sheep. You are helpless. You are weak. You have no protection. What's going to protect you from that? From your sin? On the cross, Jesus Christ absorbs all the wrath and punishment for our sins. Our sins, like a predator, got him. And so we are led to safety. And so Jesus Christ is devoured and he's torn apart on the cross. He bleeds and he dies. Why? So that you are free, you are fed, you are healed. He's going to bind us up. At the end of the Bible, going all the way back to the end of the Bible again, 
those last two chapters, what is, what is the promise? One day our Savior will wipe every tear away from our eyes. He will bind up the injured. You don't think, I mean, we have, look at that access that we have to God. You don't think that that's a trustworthy shepherd? He has laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ received the bloodhounds of hell. He received, it, it, they tore him apart so that you would receive the hounds of heaven. You can trust him. You can trust his promises. You can trust his word. That means you can trust him to save you. He came between us and our sin. He, became, he came between us and our death. He came between us and hell. But if you do trust him, then you're going to trust him as your shepherd. Stop fighting him. Stop resisting him. Trust him as your authority. Trust him as your king. That means your life is not your own. He owns you. He has bought you with the price of his own life. Submit to the word of the king. Submit to it at home, in your homes. Submit to it. Your homes are more important. Submit to him in your workplace. Submit to him in your church. If you say you're a Christian, but you refuse to put yourself under the authority of consistent Christian leadership in community, in the context of a broader community in the word of God, then you are still wayward sheep. Oh, but I've been abused. I've been neglected. They've been harsh. Friends, me too. I've been through that too. But don't let that take away from the reality that we still need real shepherds, real shepherds in our lives. I still do too. I need them. And lastly, that means that if you trust in Jesus, you're not just going to trust him with your life. You're going to trust him for your life. You're going to trust him as your life. You're going to depend on him and his word. What does that mean? Is your life characterized more and more by humility? See, the interesting phenomenon in, the, in our society today is that people come into the church and they come in humble. I want to learn. I want to grow. I have, I'm so weak. I'm so young. And then as they get more and more comfortable in the context of the social part of the community, they become more arrogant and proud and fighting and backbiting. You notice that? Is your life characterized by greater humility? Is it characterized by prayer? Is God's word shaping and changing you and the way you deal with your mind? If you're, if you're God, if God hasn't hit your wallet, then he isn't God. If God hasn't hit your sex life, he isn't your God. If God hasn't hit your studies, he isn't your God. If God hasn't hit your career and how you manage people, he is not your God. Today we say, oh, I, I know what the gospel teaches, but, and we qualify things. What you're saying is, you know, on one hand, it's really hard. What you're really saying is, I know what the gospel is about, I just don't trust it. Let Jesus into every part of your life. Sheep, they don't lock doors. They don't say, well, you can come in this room, but not this room. They don't have any hands. They're like, uh, you know, like they don't, stay out, they don't do that. If there's any area of your life that you're keeping from Jesus, whether it's your wealth, or your family, your children, your comforts, then Jesus is not really your shepherd. I'm going to close. Look, some of you, you hate your shepherds. 
You hate, just, you hate the concept of shepherds altogether. You hate, your, you hate authority. Well, then you're on your own. Others, you know you need one, but you keep trusting the wrong ones. You keep listen, looking for the wrong kinds. And after a while, you get in a mess and you get stuck, and, you're, and so you're constantly needy. You're just always just busted up because you're constantly getting stuck into thorn bushes and these other places, and you're, you're just needy and you're desperate and you're ripped apart and you're bleeding all the time. And yet you still don't listen, and you haven't listened. Some of you, you resist Jesus as your shepherd because it's a way of punishing some bad shepherds that you had in the past. Church hurt, we say. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's other leaders or your pastors. Jesus Christ didn't come to overpower you with force. He didn't come here to subvert you. The gospel comes. The Holy Spirit comes in and converts you. He came to lay down his life because of his love. That, doesn't that make him trustworthy? Submit to him. I mean, he is worthy. Let's pray together.